Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I am Bill Arnold. We're going to have a great show. Pastor Eric Davis from Wyoming is going to be coming on in just a minute and talk about the privilege of prayer, which is going to be awesome. Then Ray Comfort. You know Ray. He's pretty wound up. He gets excited. You can't slow him down. I think he's only made like a bunch of award-winning films and written 80 books. But he's written a, a book just on the words of Jesus called Jesus in Red. It's a great little devotional. And that's our one. Alex McFarland will be with me in hour two, and then Rebecca Ree. But I'm I'm looking at First Corinthians chapter one, verse eight. He will keep you strong to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I just love these verses of assurance in John six thirty seven it says, And the Father gives me and all the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. We have such comfort, such assurance in him. Let's take 60 seconds and bring on Eric. I'm Neil Stave, a manager of Faith Radio. This month, the focus is on Thanksgiving, and we're reminded to take a day to pause and give thanks for all the blessings God pours out on us. But I'm thinking of a growing group of people who deserve our gratitude every day because these friends of Faith Radio support us as ongoing monthly givers. This steady giving allows this ministry to have a firm financial foundation month after month. So to all of you who make up our ongoing monthly giving family, thanks. We appreciate you and bless you for the encouragement you bring to us and to thousands of listeners who, as a result of your gifts, are able to hear the hope of the gospel presented daily here on Faith Radio. Every day is Thanksgiving Day because of your partnership. Now, if you've given to Faith Radio in the past but want to be more consistent in that support, consider becoming an ongoing monthly giver. You can sign up today at MyFaithRadio.com or by calling 877-933-2484 and press 2 to make a gift. Welcome back to the show. I'm delighted to be uh, inviting back to the program Eric Davis. He's pastor from uh, Cornerstone Church in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And he was, uh, last time he was on, he was a gigantic hit with our listeners, especially between the ages of 52 and 52 and a half. It was an overwhelming response. So I thought, we got to get him back on. Eric, welcome back. Thank you. It's a privilege to be on the show, Bill. I appreciate it. <laughs> Isn't it fun to be a, uh, just to be a big hit? And listeners loved you when you were on. Uh, well, God is gracious. No, I, I know. It. I know. And I tease a little bit because I think uh, we can't take ourselves too seriously in life, can we? Absolutely. We get into trouble when we do that. I know. That's one of the things I learned from you. So thanks for reminding me once again. Oh, I'm learning from you, Bill. You're, you're, <laughs> you're the uh, expert in that category, as we all know. I appreciate that. So when I think about prayer and I think about um, how we evaluate prayer as Christians, I sometimes think people evaluate prayer based on how much of their prayers are being answered the way they'd like. Right. How's your prayer life? Well, I got to say, I'm getting some of my prayers answered the way I like. That doesn't seem right. Yeah, it's. Uh, I feel like every once in a while I have these little sort of prayer reformations in my life where I, my, my prayer life, my spiritual life, uh, I can plateau, I can feel stale, I can feel dry at times. 
And Luke 11 is one of those passages that every time I go to it, you know, when I'm in one of those, uh, unfortunately, all too common seasons, um, it, it sort of breathes new life uh, into really my, not only my walk with God, but, but my prayer life, which really for me is, is, is critical. I mean, I, I live and, and die by, by prayer. And I love the passage because there's a couple things Jesus does. He, you know, we can over, uh, if, if, you've, if people have struggled like me, I can overcomplicate prayer. I have to say this exact thing. I have to do it this way. It has to be at this particular time. And there is something to be said for a time that's set aside, just like if we're meeting with someone. But he, he, he kind of simplifies it and, and shoes a lot of those surface things away. And, for, and, and he, he frames it in terms of a time of, of communion with our Father. And, and I love how he begins the prayer with that term, Father. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, I, the Christian... The, the, the Christian sort of culture thing was, was very new to me. I grew up in the far, far West Coast and a completely atheistic uh, neo-pagan culture. So I, I had no sort of cult, cultural Christian baggage when I came to the faith. And this idea that not only is God the, the creator of the universe who made everything, we can know him as father and he is eager to listen to us and to hear us and to commune with us. When I first came to Christ, that was, that was a, a, a profound thing to me. I pray that that, that would never get old yeah. to me. Now, Eric, I'm, I'm already fascinated by the idea that you came from the far West Coast and didn't have any yes, cultural Christian baggage, and now you're a pastor. So i I got to figure out, i got to hear that journey. Yeah, so I... Leave out no details. In, uh, right, of course. <laughs> we'll keep it uh, PG-rated for your uh, wonderful listeners of here. Of course. Um, you know, just I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. You know, I grew up in Western Oregon in a, in a town that's known as the Amsterdam of America, and rightly oh, wow. so. Um, and so, you know, illicit drug use and this kind of thing was a very normal thing to me. I didn't know anything else growing up. And then uh, I, I, I moved, for me, it was moving east to Wyoming. You know, most people consider it moving west. I moved out east to Wyoming uh, to take a break after I graduated from college, just to sort of sow my wild oats even more than I was and to drag my leash even more than I was. And I had been indoctrinated with uh, the idea of Darwinian gradualism and evolution. I loved learning that uh, I was an animal and had no purpose in life, that there was purely a materialistic explanation behind uh, why I was here. That really fit my moral compass well. And uh, I came to Wyoming and what, what I intended for evil, God intended for good. And uh, long story short, I met uh, who's now my wife and the Lord was, she, she's actually from the area there, from the city, Twin Cities. She, the Lord was drawing her. She came to faith in Christ first and started challenging me along the lines of my materialistic Darwinian worldview. And uh, I just began reading the Bible and uh, God was so gracious. He opened my eyes and drew me to, to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I love it. <laughs> I never get tired of these stories, Eric. Yeah, God is gracious. He was seeking after me, though I was running the opposite direction, yeah. that's for sure. Yeah, so let's get back to Luke 11, where the prayer starts with Father. You understand yeah. him now to be your heavenly Father, and then continue what you learned about uh, prayer from the Jesus' Jesus's teaching on prayer in Luke 11. Well, that, that, that's really the, the entry point to prayer, and we never get past that, is that, 
father, and, and I understand it, you know, some of my own congregation and some of the listeners here, we've had a lesson in positive experience perhaps with our earthly fathers, but God does not want us to force that upon who he is as father. He's a father of the fatherless. Uh, he, he, he is so loving, so tender. He's the perfect father. And so when we, when we think about prayer, for me, what has been so helpful is to remember he is a perfect father. And what do we think about when we think of a perfect father? We think of compassion. We think of providing. We think of leading. We think of loving. We think of guiding. We think of discipline as well and always out of love and mercy and grace. Uh, and, and so when, when, when we enter into prayer, instead of thinking of prayer as this sort of stoic transaction between me and like a cosmic vending machine in the clouds, this sort of thing that I do to check off this duty, I can feel good about myself, my spiritual discipline. And it is something that, you know, we should be disciplined to do. But we do it because we are having communion with the perfect Father who is God of the universe. J.I. Packer in his excellent book, Knowing God, he says the Christian name for God is Father. <laughs> and, and that really just, I mean, for me, that's, that, that settles me, that relaxes me as I'm stressed and pulled in so many directions like so many of us, that I am sitting down with a Father who wants to listen to me, and he's operating the molecules and the galaxies and listening to millions of other people. But at the same time, the Bible says, places like Psalm 139, he is fully present, fully attentive. And not only that, because he is father, he is fully compassionate and tender. And he's not sort of scowling like, oh, my goodness, Eric, you're asking for that again. You're struggling with that again. You're bringing that to me again. That's never that, that is in no way the picture that we get from Holy Scripture of God as our father. So I, I think that that can motivate us to prayer and sort of shoo away maybe some, uh, some, some false ideas we get uh, about prayer and, and really making it more than just a spiritual discipline, but a privilege to sit with my father who was always eager to listen. Eric, that's beautiful. And I love it. And how would you help someone unlearn some of the negative things they have about God, the father based on their own father? Yeah, that's uh too many of us have, you know, have felt that sort of scarring of a Genesis 3 world. We, we have to have our minds renewed, um, and God's Word is sufficient. We believe, uh, we understand that Christians believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, which is to say we not only believe the, that, that the Bible is the, the Word of God, but it, and when we practice it, it, ha- it has power in our lives. So what I, what I would encourage others, as I encourage myself, is to go to some of these critical passages that, that talk about God as Father. I think of Psalm 103 uh, is a critical passage that I, I like to go to, I like to take people to, um, as a father has compassion on his children, and maybe you didn't experience that, but let us renew our minds of Scripture so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. Psalm, uh, Psalm um, you know, 116, uh, verse 1 and 2, talk about the nearness of God listening to us. Um, you know, First uh, John 3, talk about, see what great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God, and such we are. Um, and John there, really, his language in the Greek is exclamatory. Look at this great love that God, notwithstanding what's happened to us with our biological fathers, that God has showered his love on us, and he has adopted us. I also like uh, Ephesians 
one, four to five again in this mind renewal. This is what it has to be, a soul renewal, mind renewal, heart renewal by the power of the scripture alone. Uh, talks about how God loved us before he even created us. God thought to adopt us before he made us, even before he made the world. What kind of a planning and a love is that, that before God started to, you know, break out the proverbial hammers and nails to the universe, he thought about us, that I want to adopt you. Mm. And that might, not, that might not parallel your biological father experience, but I'll, but I'll tell you what, that, that, that transcends all negative experiences we've had for fathers. I also like to go to Psalm 68, verse 5. Psalm 68, 5, again, a father of the fatherless, a judge for the widows is God in his holy habitation. I mentioned Psalm 103. Um, and John 3:16. let that never get old to us. Some of us have known that from our earliest memories. For God so loved the world, so that's a God, but then he frames it in a father language that he gave, what? His only begotten son. So that tells us what kind of a father he is. He's a giving father. You might not have had and we might not have had a giving father. This father is a generous giving father. He gives his greatest child, his greatest son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him shall not perish and have eternal life. And I want to encourage some of us who have struggled with uh, our experiences with our earthly fathers, because this is a father, if we notice from John 3:16 again, let that never get old to us, that verse, that he isn't saying, okay, he's not sort of furrowed brow in heaven, tapping his foot. Let's see if you can be good enough for me. Uh, let's see if you can prove yourself to me. That's some of the experiences that many of us have had with our earthly fathers, and, and that can damage. That can damage a, a, a guy or a gal. He says, let me show you grace and mercy. I already gave, despite your imperfections, that I gave my greatest son, that you just believe. You just put childlike faith. You, you just trust in him and put your confidence in him. You are my child forever, and as the great crescendo in Romans eight thirty-eight to 39 says, nothing can separate us from that love of God. Look, God the Father is never going to be known as a father who disowns any children, who sort of unadopts. He's not going to go back to the uh, adoption agency, as it were, and say, well, you know, this son of mine, this tutter, they're not quite performing up to the way that they should, so, uh, you know, you can take them back. That will never happen. That will never happen with one of God's children because, because why? What was the price of adoption that was paid? The Lord Jesus Christ. God, God accomplished our adoption. God paid for our adoption. So we're not going to be able to get some refund here by anything we do. And that is, to me, Bill, that is so motivating, so encouraging, not only to those who have struggled tragically with less than ideal experiences with biological fathers, but it helps my prayer life. As, uh, as I find it's something we can all struggle with at times. It motivates me to go before my father and just to be able to be super honest, transparent. He knows, and not only does he know, he loves. I love uh, nice, long, coherent thoughts, and you just gave us one. I love it. But I'm going to take a little break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation uh, Pastor Eric Davis from Cornerstone Church in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. We'll be right back. All I want to do is praise your name from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. You are my God and all I want to do is praise your name. I praise your name and lift up 
Welcome back to the show. I'm Eric Davis on the studio line. He is from Cornerstone Church in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, talking about the privilege of prayer. And that's uh, really based out of Luke chapter 11. And I just want to go back there one more time, if I can, Eric, and look at Luke 11. And when I see how it starts with, um, you know, Father, hallowed be your name. And Jesus is giving us this as a model for prayer, or is it a prayer you like to say in its entirety, word for word? Great question. Or both. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, I think from my study of the passage, uh, both Luke 11 and the parallel from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, I, I believe it's sort of both. Okay. Um, I want to qualify that, though. Uh, I don't think he is giving us a rote formula in the sense of you must say these exact words, you know, uh, or, or sorry, blocked field goal. You know, your prayer is <laughs> going to hit the uprights of heaven right. and uh, doesn't count. You know what I mean? Um, I, I, don't, I don't see that. Jesus is, is giving us a, sort of a, a launch pad. You, you're, you can pray those things, certainly. And I think those, you can say the exact words, I should say. And those are great things to say because they're, they're packed full of meaning. I think what Jesus is, is giving us here is not so much words to recite, but an idea or a general format to follow. Um, it's, a, it's sort of like a, it, it, we, I think we can think of it as training wheels, a guide to prayer, a, mm-hmm. a, a, a format to launch us to greater prayers. You know, Father, uh, the, identifying with the compassion, the mercy of God, and then hallowed be your name is sort of just a, a fancy English word for uh, God. I want your name to be holy and known as holy. You know, and then he goes down the list, may your kingdom come. This is a format that we see in a lot of the Old Testament prayers. Now, what's interesting, if we get too caught up and, you know, well, I need to recite this verbatim or it doesn't count. Interestingly, in the rest of the New Testament, epistles and the Gospels and such, we don't see anybody praying this exact prayer, though there are many prayers throughout uh, the New Testament. Almost all the epistle Paul, epistles Paul has prayers. In the book of Acts, we have several prayers. Acts 4, the church praying together, Acts 5 as well. Never do they recite these exact words. That's not to say that they're throwing Jesus' teaching by the wayside, uh, quite the contrary. Again, it's a launch pad, or I think a, a training wheels to guide us into praying these sort of concepts as we have fellowship with our Father. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes like to say, I would love to quote a piece of Scripture that I have memorized. Would you mind? People go, yeah. And you just hit them with, Father, hallowed be your name your kingdom Absolutely. come, and they start to go, wait a minute, I know that too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's nice to point them right to Scripture, to go, that's right out of God's Word, and I'm a big fan of memorizing anything in God's Word. I'm right there with you. Psalm 119.11 says, Your Word I have treasured in my heart, that I might not sin against you. So that, that treasuring up God's Word in our heart, as you know, just really has a, a wonderful sanctifying effect. So I struggle. Uh, sometimes, to my shame, Bill, I, I, I don't want to pray. I, I'm thinking, oh, I have too much to do, and, you know, I don't always see, like, this tangible product when I'm done praying, as if I go out and do a project in the yard or, you know, build something. I can see, oh, I did something, and kind of gives me this instant gratification. So I, I struggle at various, various times uh, with my prayer life, unfortunately. I, th- I think, Eric, if I try to do plea bargaining with God, praying is a little bit more tiresome. But if I just go and yeah. worship Him in prayer— Exactly. And trusting him for the well, outcome, then it's a lot easier. Excellent point. Yeah, yeah that, that's a great advice. Oh, I'm going to steal that from my congregation. Oh, please if you do. Don't mind, Bill. No, please do. <laughs> and then when I think about Paul, when you just mentioned Paul, you know, at the end of his life, he said, you know, I'm the chief of all sinners. 
Now, I don't know if there's hyperbole being used in Scripture. I don't know if you would say, what was Paul trying to say, that he is the worst of all sinners? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, and certainly there is hyperbole used uh, because Scripture is a human book as well as a divine book, meaning God used you know human instruments, uh, human authors, um, when he inspired his word. But it seems to me in Paul's mind that he really is, you know, I, I, I don't think that necessarily if, you know, if, if you had this list of humanity, however many billions of people have ever existed, that Paul would necessarily say, well, I'm, I'm top there on how many sins and the gravity of the sins and all that. I'm not sure if that's his point there so much as, as, as he just, he was, he got, he was so close to God. He loved the Lord Jesus so much. He was so enamored by the grace of God himself being the apostle of grace. That is, he grew older. He grew closer to Christ, more like Christ, more in love with Christ, older in his, in his walk. I think as he looked back on the things that he did, the attitudes that he had, the thoughts that, that he thought, we know from places like Acts 7 where, you know, he is approving of the, uh, of the martyring of Stephen and, you know, throwing Christians in jail, murdering Christians. I think he just had such a grief and such an understanding of, his own sin, and even even daily, just his own thoughts. Sometimes he struggled with it. I think he's just sort of exclamatory. I, I'm I'm the I'm the biggest sinner I know. Perhaps mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. Let's let's think about the body of Christ. Let's get our eyes off of what I want and my rights. And I was wronged. Yes, you were wronged. But First Corinthians six seven says, "Hey, in the body of Christ, let's rather be wronged. We have the freedom to do that than allowing these things to fester." A lot of forgiveness there, a lot of, lot of humility, reminding him of the grace of God in his life. Remember what God has done. He also encourages him to uh, embrace God's sovereignty here. Look at God. That's what we need to do in conflict. Look at God. What is God doing? God is always involved in the lives of his children, including conflict. He's always doing something good. Look what God has done. Romans 8.28 is still in our Bible in conflict. Sometimes I like to throw it out, namely, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. And that is especially true in conflict. A lot more we could say, but those are some things that really helped me uh, as I studied this book. Yeah, Eric, there's a lot in that book. And thank you for helping us see God's word more richly the way you have done so today. It's just, I could hang with you. I could hang with you a lot. Thank you. God's word is sufficient and so helpful for every struggle of life. Thanks so much, Eric. Eric Davis has been my guest, pastor at Cornerstone Church in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. We'll take a short break and be right back with lots more. Welcome back to the show. I'm awful glad to be welcoming back Ray Comfort. He is a producer of award-winning movies and written about 80 books. He's a busy guy, and it's interesting when I have listeners that write me and say, 
get Ray Comfort back on the air. I thought, well, it's time to call Ray. Also coincides with his new book, Jesus in Red, 365 Mediations on the Words of Jesus. I am glad to have you back on the... <laughs> meditations, yes. <laughs> yes. I don't have my glasses on. <laughs> Do you wear glasses, Ray? Yes, but I did have laser surgery, and it, it helped me not wear glasses for a while. Yeah. Ten years. I've thought about that myself, but I'm too chicken. You just have to hold still, that's all. <laughs> that's the problem. <laughs> Somebody coming at me with a laser would not have me holding still. Well, they actually slice the um, cornea off with a very sharp scalpel. Okay, you're well. You're you are calming me down right now. That's helpful. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's chat about the new book, Jesus in Red. I love uh, the fact that you've said, "Let's just focus on the words of Jesus." Yeah, um, we we have stop signs red. We have uh, fire engines in red, uh, exit signs in red. Um, when we want to alarm people, we paint things red, and I guess we're copying off what God did. Blood is red, and it sure alarms us when you see blood spilled, whether it's your own or somebody else's. So uh, we put the words of Jesus in red, which is nothing unusual, uh, except for the fact they're isolated. I mean, we've got a lot of red-letter Bibles out there, but I isolated the words of Jesus and took away the surrounding words from them so we could focus on them, because if anything should alarm us, it's the words of Jesus. Obviously, I encourage people to read them in context, but I took out words like, and he said unto him, and then just put the words of Jesus so we wouldn't be distracted from them because uh, never a man spoke like this man. Never a man said the things that this man said. And and uh, people's eternity depend on Jesus and his words. Yeah. Jesus always spoke bold truth. What other common themes did we do we find in, in the words of Jesus when we're going through these these devotions? Oh, sin, righteousness, and judgment. I presume I've never had that question before. But Jesus spoke on everything under the sun in the mm-hmm. sense that uh, when the officers were sent out to arrest him by the Pharisees, and they came back empty-handed, and they said, are you being duped too? They did say those words, never a man spoke like this man. And to compare Jesus to Napoleon or Shakespeare or any other of the greats down through history is like comparing the sun at full strength to a candle that's just been snuffed out. There's nobody that spoke like he spoke. He said, marvel not at this. For the hour is coming, with all that are in their graves shall hear my voice. Well, he's speaking about, what is it, 100.8 billion people have lived and died throughout history. Every one of them are going to be raised from the dead. They're going to hear his voice, and they're going to give an account of themselves to him. Um, so uh, either Jesus was an absolute crazy man, or he was God in human form. And we know the Bible clearly says that God was manifest in the flesh, that Jesus was the express image of the invisible God. All things were made by him, and without him nothing was made that was made. So God prepared for himself a body, filled that body as a hand fills a glove, and we get to hear the gracious words that came out of his mouth, and uh, there's nothing like them throughout history. Mm-hmm. I think if Jesus, uh, the authorities, wanted to kill him, his friends were confused by him, his family thought he was nuts, and he's probably the greatest and most controversial man that's ever lived. Oh, no, no, no doubt about that. Who else in history has had their name used as a cuss word? Right. Nobody. Right. No one uses Napoleon's, Hitler's, Mother Teresa, Mahatma Gandhi. You know, it's, it's only Jesus. And you think about it. Why would human beings do that? Well, Jesus said in John 7, the world hates me because I testify of its deeds that they are evil. And the world hates God without cause in the name of Jesus 
for the same reason criminals hate the police. They'll kill a police officer, not because of who he is, but because of what he stands for. And I like to say to people that say they're blasphemed, say, why would you, why would you do that? Why would you replace the holy name of God um, or replace a cuss word, shall I say, with the holy name of our creator, the name that's above all names? And I say, would you use your mother's name as a cuss word? And people say, no. So why wouldn't you do that? Well, I respect my mother. And you don't respect the God that gave you life. You're not thankful. You're not grateful. And the Bible says death sentence in the Old Testament for blasphemy. And it's a very serious sin to do so. So the name of Jesus, the name of God is to be esteemed and his words are to be um, read with awe and fear in our hearts. Yeah, Ray, I completely agree. You know, Acts 4.12, salvation is to be found in him alone. In all the world, there is no other name by which you can be saved. So that name has got more power than any other name in the world. I think that's why it gets so attacked and maligned and used as a cuss word. Absolutely. Um, You know, uh, I've got a secret agenda with this devotional. Um, I, I believe in hell's existence, and that horrifies me. I go through every day um, just bent double in horror at the thought that after death, the judgment, and every human being has to stand before God, and uh, hell is a reality. People will be justly damned in a terrible place called hell, and that horrifies me. And the Apostle Paul said, wherefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. So my motive in producing a devotional isn't to be an air tickler. I want to encourage Christians to share their faith. I want to equip Christians to share their faith because I know we all have fears, and fear can hold us back. And yet there's certain principles that can help us to be released from fear, and that's what I've fed into this devotional. And the other thing, too, is, um, I, uh, um, Bill, I have been reading the Bible every day for 48 years without fail. There's never been a day when I haven't read God's Word. And I thought every Christian did that. And about 30 or 40 years ago, I said in a church when I was speaking, how many of you read your Bible every day without fail? And uh, about 5% of hands went up. And I just, you could have knocked me over with a feather. Mm-hmm. But I began asking, wherever I went when I was in churches, it was always about 5%. People would say, I read the Bible every second day. Or I, you know, I really, I, I try to read the Bible. When I meet Christians that say, I try to read the Bible daily, I say, do you, feed, do you try to feed your stomach daily? I say, you don't try to feed your stomach. You just do because you prioritize that. And Job said, I've esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. And so this devotional is an encouragement to Christians to discipline yourself, to read the word daily. Don't miss a day because Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who meditates on the law of God both day and night. And he'll be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, its leaf one, whether And whatever he do- does will prosper. That's your marriage, your vocation, your evangelistic endeavors. If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, if you esteem his word more than your necessary food, as Job said. And so I believe it's a real key to success as a Christian to have that daily discipline. Yeah, I know, Ray, people covet sleep. And this morning I woke up at 4.30 and I I thought, this is so exciting for me because I can get into God's word right now. And uh, I grabbed my Bible and and, um, put on some coffee and I had about two hours of time in the word and it's one of those uh, things that you just expressed. It's like, I, I can't go a day without God's Word. Yeah, it's so great to hear you say that. Um, uh, the Bible speaks of meditating on the law of God both day and night. That means like chewing it over. 
I'm not saying read Leviticus before you get out of bed. That's going to give you indigestion. Just take the time to chew over a few of the words of Jesus or some of the Psalms. Meditate on them. Chew them over. Absorb them into your soul and let them energize you throughout that day. And I know I've got an iPod by my bed, and it's on a gooseneck uh, lamp so I can move it around. And I just put it on, and I'll stay with the same chapter for maybe one or two weeks, going through the same chapter again and again. And suddenly it's like finding a gold nugget. You think, mm-hmm. wow, I've never seen that before. You know, you don't find gold on the streets or silver on the streets or diamonds just hanging around or even pearls. <laughs> All those things, you have to dig for them. You have mm-hmm. to search for them. And it's exactly the same with truth. Jesus spoke of searching the scriptures. And when you meditate on the word and break it open, you do find those gold nuggets. And it's just like, it's just exciting to say, oh, I've read that a hundred times and I've never seen that before. Because this is the word of the creator of the universe, the one that spoke the sun into existence. So it's got to be special. And the specialness about God's word is that he's hidden it from the wise and the prudent. Only a humble, seeking heart will find those truths in God's Word, and uh, and that's uh, a tonic and a food to the soul. It is indeed, and I think of how important it is to read the words of Jesus that you have laid out in your book, Jesus in Red, and then also to understand the meaning and context of Jesus' words. Yeah, at the beginning of the book, I've said, go to the Bible and read what's outside of these words, like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Those words just knock every other <laughs> every other religion out of the game. He, Jesus is the only way to God, and the reason for that is because we're sinners. We're uh, criminals in God's eyes. We're in the dark. God's a holy judge, so anything we offer him in the area of good works isn't going to cause the judge to compromise eternal justice. If you get a, if you offer the judge a bribe, you're going to make him angry. And the Bible says that's exactly the same with God. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. And all those other religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, all the big religions, are merely trying to offer God religious works or good works in an effort to gain immortality. And it won't work. In Christ, God has offered, human, offered humanity universally the gift of eternal life. The gospel is good news for Buddhists, for Hindus, for Muslims, for atheists, for churchgoers. Whosoever will may come. That call is universal. And so we've got a a wonderful gospel to proclaim. And uh, when you read the words of Jesus in context, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You see, I think they were provoked by Thomas, the old unbeliever. But uh, So some of our uh, most wonderful truths in Scripture have been provoked by even um, unbelieving people, ungodly people. The Pharisees called out certain things, and Jesus gave us a wonderful, wonderful truth because they asked him a certain question, even if it was asked with a wrong motive. Mm-hmm. All right, it's always important to be equipped and ready to share our faith at any time with anyone, and yet there's a lot of people today that are feeling a little bit more intimidated than usual, and they have their fears about sharing their faith because they don't want to offend people in this highly polarized culture. Yeah, and and there's a key to to doing that without offense, and that's to do what Jesus did. Don't address the intellect, because you're going to get contention. Mm -hmm. Address the the conscience, because that's what Jesus did. You don't have to get into arguments of the existence of God. Everybody knows that God exists. There's no such thing as an atheist. The Bible says 
The invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they're without excuse. The heavens declare the glory of God. When we broke away from Britain, uh, we, we, we declared our independence. We didn't just mumble it. It was a declaration of independence. And the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. So whenever we look at the beautiful blue sky or those big white clouds or the sun shining through, we know intuitively that God exists. So you don't have to get into arguments about evolution and, and uh, the existence of God. You can go straight to the conscience and say, hey, are you going to make it to heaven? Do you think you're a good, there's a good person? Do you think there's an afterlife? And if they say, yes, I'm, I'm a good person, just take them through the commandments as Jesus did and talk about lying and stealing and lusting, which is committing adultery in the heart and bring that knowledge of sin. You know, have you ever heard of the Dunning-Kruger effect? Oh, yes. I love that. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an incredible thing. A lot of people haven't. It was two psychologists back in 1999 brought forth the amazing truth that people who are inept, they're not very good at things, think they're really good. Like we think we can jump higher, run faster, sing better than what we actually can. And I, I was a, um, a victim of that when I was 13. I came home from school with my hymn book in my hand, turned on a tape recorder, and sung into the tape recorder and played it back <laughs> to hear myself sing because obviously I had a voice like Elvis. Mm-hmm. It was so bad if I'd done it down the beach, the tide wouldn't have come in. <laughs> I haven't sung in public for the last 50 or 60 years. The only one that hears me sing is Sue. <laughs> and so we need an objective opinion, especially when it comes to morality. We all think we're good people until we're confronted with the moral perfection of God and his uh, Ten Commandments. And uh, that's what shows us we're uh, sinners. And when you get that down, when you learn how to do that, people don't get angry. They don't get uh, offended. They don't get embarrassed. They say, man, I've never really understood why Christ died on the cross. Now I see it. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. And so that uh, takes the fear out of it. Although I got to admit, I um, I still battle fear every day. I, I'm going out today again. I go out twice a day to a local college to uh, film people for our YouTube channel, which, by the way, has just passed 90 million views. We're so encouraged by that. And I always battle a nervousness, always battle a fear, and I just have to learn to ignore it like a good firefighter. He runs into the flames because he's concerned about saving people and not his own flesh. Yeah, that's uh, interesting, and I, I love that you remind remind our listeners that everyone believes in God, and I would say the atheists believe in God as much as anybody, because why else would they spend so much energy trying to let you know that there isn't a God? Absolutely. There's that intuitive knowledge of God, and it's crazy. I've seen so many atheists backslide. They make a mouth like a road tunnel when I ask them this question. I say, I'm an atheist, and I say, well, answer this question if you would. Do you believe the scientific impossibility that nothing created everything? And they go, oh, well, well, I don't believe nothing created everything. So I say, well, you do believe in a creator. You just don't think it was God. They say, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. So well, let's try and find out why you don't want it to be God. How many lies have you told? Are you looking at pornography? Are you having sex without marriage? And say, well, you don't want to find God for the same reason a thief doesn't want to find a policeman. And uh, it's a moral issue rather than an intellectual one. So uh, it's very important to address that conscience and to uh, and to annihilate self-righteousness, which is a, a parachute filled with holes that so many people trust in. Yeah, no kidding. Ray Comfort is my guest. Uh, he's a best-selling author and also many award-winning movies. We're chatting about his book, Jesus in Red, 365 uh, Meditations on the Word of Jesus. 
words of Jesus. We'll take a short break and be right back. Welcome back to the show. Ray Comfort's my guest. He's written many, many books. The one we're chatting about today is a devotional, um, Jesus in Red. And you take the words of Jesus, you isolate them, you make them nice and clean, and then you understand in what, what they mean in context, and you, you know, build up your faith, and you get ready to go out and uh, be a stronger person in the Lord and share your faith with others. Um, so I appreciate you sharing your apprehensiveness or your nervousness about sharing your faith, because every time I see you on your um, your YouTube channel interviewing somebody, I think, here's the boldest guy in the world. <laughs> I'm a faker. I, I, I appreciate it. I fake my boldness. And, you know, there's a real key to overcoming fear. If I said to you, could you jump into a pond that's filled with big chunks of ice, so cold you'd be dead within three minutes, you'd say, no, no, I'd never do that. I said, what's that four-year-old boy fell into that pond and he's drowning because he's not tall enough for his feet to reach the bottom? Would you jump in there? And you say, wouldn't hesitate because love casts out all fear. Love does that. It couldn't stand and let a child drown. And the waters of personal evangelism are freezing. They're icy cold. But love is the answer. Love pushes out fear. The Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. So if you've got a problem with fear, don't pray for less fear. Pray for more love. Because that's the problem. Well said, Ray. I mean, there is a sense of urgency we should all have. I mean, the, the heart is a wind-up clock, and one day it stops ticking, and you don't know when that is. And then you face eternity, and you either fall into the arms of Jesus or you spend your eternity apart from him. And that's, uh, that's the most serious business we can face every day. Well, it's better to fall under the face of the sun, to fall under the hands of the living God. It's a very fearful thing. What I've been doing recently is talking about fear. You know, I've noticed people's mouths go dry when I take them through the commandments. So I say to them, let me explain to you what's just happened to you. So if I put you on a thousand foot cliff with your toes over the edge and jagged rocks below and you can feel the stones crumbling beneath your feet, would that be fearful? And they say, oh, yeah, very. I'm scared of heights. So would the feeling of fear be a good fear or a bad fear? And they say, oh, it'd be horrible, horrible feeling. I say, would the fear itself be good or bad? And they usually say, oh, it'd be bad. I say, no, no, it'd be good. Because that fear is trying to warn you. It's saying, back up from the cliff. You're in danger. So that fear isn't your enemy. It's your friend. I said, what I've done with you is I've tried to put your toes over the edges of eternity and show you that it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And the feeling of fear as you went through those commandments and talked about hell and your guilt and God's wrath abiding on you was not a pleasant feeling. But the fear itself is good because it's your friend, not your enemy. It's trying to protect you. The Bible says through the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And I say, so I hope you'll listen to that fear and let it drive you to the foot of the cross where you can have your sins washed away and find peace with God and everlasting life as a free gift. So never be afraid to make people fearful because it's an integral part. Apostle Paul said, wherefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. He said, he's warning every man that he may present every man perfect. And we've got to warn people that God is holy, lust is adultery in his eyes, Hatred is murder. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. All liars with their part in the lake of fire. And death is evidence that God is serious about sin. He's given us the death sentence. 
That's why we die. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we'll never seek after that gift until we realize we're in terrible danger and uh, under his wrath and needing the mercy of the cross. So, Ray, it's, I, you've been so busy writing so many books. I know you've got uh, a number of award-winning movies. Uh, maybe you would just tell our listening audience about you know a movie that you've done most recently and something that uh, you can point them to and get them excited about. Well, I've, I've done a couple that are going up. We've got about two or three months uh, backed up of uh, videos and movies. There's uh, one called The Atheist Delusion, where you see atheists actually backslide. And these are completely free. There's no advertising at the beginning or during them. Uh, completely free on YouTube. Um, there's others. One. There's another one called um, Evolution versus God, where you see um, four evolutionary scientists flounder as they try and think of any scientific evidence for Darwinian evolution. There's not. It's all founded on blind faith. There's mm-hmm. another one called Crazy Bible, which I absolutely love. I think it's coming up to a million views. It was only put up about six months ago, I think. And another one called The Fool, which is probably our best film. Um, it's, uh, it's all about me. It's a true story. And people are saying this is the best you've ever put out. So um, all those are completely free. Just think The Fool and go to YouTube and you can watch it. And uh, if you look in the comments, there are thousands of comments. I saw one comment said, I tried watching five minutes and I could not stop. And then underneath that, there are like dozens of people saying, I did the same. So just go and watch five minutes and yeah. see if you can stop. It's a, it's a thrilling, wonderful, God-glorifying, encouraging story. It's yeah. called The Fool. Ray, after sharing the gospel with so many people over so, over so many decades, what 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 specifically maybe have you come to understand about people who always they're wanting to seek their their happiness and their comfort, and what they really don't want to do is give up authority in their life? Yeah, that's right. I've been asking quite a lot of people, um, what's the most important thing to you in your life? And it's personal happiness. It always is. They say, oh yeah, it's the right of every individual to pursue after you know happiness. That's our liberty. And I say, well, look, are you sure? They say, oh, yes, that's the most important thing to me. I say, if you found a wallet with $1,000 in it and the person's name in it, would you return it to them? And they say, oh, yes, I would. And I say, well, happiness is the most important thing in your life. Righteousness is. Because you could be happy keeping that money, but you know it's not right. And so righteousness triumphs over happiness. It should for all of us if we fear God. And righteousness is what we need on the day of judgment. The Bible says, riches profit not on the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. And if there's one thing I've learned about uh, sharing my faith with so many people, sharing the gospel with so many, is that as your fears are never realized, Goliath always turns out to be Zacchaeus. And the other thing to always remember is that everyone's the same. Every single person. We've all got the same blood. The Bible says that. But we've got the same soul. Something in, in us says, oh, I don't want to die. We all have a conscience, a knowledge of right and wrong. So learn to tap into that will to live and the conscience. Speak to the conscience and talk to the person about the preciousness of their soul. You know, no one would sell their eyes for a million dollars. Wouldn't sell both for a hundred million because they're, they're so precious. And yet their eyes are merely the windows of the soul. So how much more is the soul worth uh, when it comes to um, our salvation? We should do everything we can to make sure we're soundly saved. Mm-hmm. And Ray, what's the best? 
place for people to go uh, just learn more about you and everything you have got going? Uh, livingwaters.com okay. is our website at livingwaters.com and the YouTube channel, just uh, Living Waters YouTube channel or type in my name with YouTube and uh, up will come a couple of thousand videos of all different people from all walks of life uh, responding to the gospel and it's fascinating to watch. Yeah, Ray, you're a great inspiration to all of us. Thank you so much for your work and, and how much you uh, show your passion and, and your love for people. Thank you for having me on your program. I you really bet. appreciate it. You bet. Ray Comfort's, been, yep, Ray Comfort's been my guest. His new book is Jesus in Red, 365 Meditations on the Words of Jesus. We'll take a short break, and we'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.